Right, hello, welcome to NHSR podcast number seven on the 27th of January 2022. So we are NHSR, we are a community of people who use open source data science tools in health and social care in the UK. We are focused on R, but we're very friendly towards other languages. And that's very nicely illustrated by this episode because we've got some friends from the Python community on this uh, exact uh, episode. We'll be talking more about the Py uh, community in a moment. Um, so my name is Chris Bealey. I'm a data scientist. Uh, I work at Nottinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust, and I'm also the co-chair of the NHSR Technical Advisory Group. And uh, as I mentioned in the intro, today we're going to be talking to NHS PyCom. So I'll let them describe what that is. Uh, but first, let's just uh, go around and just introduce everybody. So Mark, please. Hi, uh, my name is Mark Bailey. I am a respiratory doctor, a speciality uh, uh, doctor in respiratory medicine and also a clinician um, who codes. Uh, try to brand myself as a um, clinical informatician, working towards that. I'm currently on the NHS Digital Academy Cohort 4. I'm also a board member for um, NHS PyCon and also a board member for the Early Careers Group on the FCI. Mary. Hi, I'm Mary Emanuel. I'm a data analyst at the NHS X Analytics Unit and I am one of the co-founders of the NHS Python community. We all had a nice chat before, but do you know what? I've just realised I haven't checked how to pronounce the next guest's name, which is very embarrassing <laughs> mid-podcast. So just introduce yourself, please. My name is Aden Relay. I knew it was me. <laughs> that was a difficult name. Aden Relay, Komalafa. You can call me Ade for short. Um, I'm an EPMA pharmacist. I'm working in the um, Surrey Safe Care project currently. So we're implementing EPR into uh, two NHS trusts at the same time at the moment. Uh, I'm also a data science student at the University of Sussex. Uh, but I should also mention that I'm moving from the NHS in a few days into Cerna, an EPR company to work as a BI developer. Thank you very much, Sophie. Uh, hi, I'm Sophie Williams. I'm a data scientist at Bart's Health NHS Trust, where I work on lots of different research projects. Cool, thank you very much. Right, let's kick off then. So please tell us about what NHS PyCom is and what problems it sets out to solve. Absolutely. I mean, firstly, Chris, thank you so much for having us. And um, we are great like, friends and fans of NHSR. So we're very, very pleased to be here today. Um, but before I think, I talk about what NHS Python community is. Uh, whenever I tell anyone I founded the Python community, they always say, you know, what on earth is Python? And so I think I should probably define what Python is first. So Python is an open source, versatile, state-of-the-art programming language that has a variety of applications in healthcare, whether that's this data science, web development, developing medical devices or, for example, data engineering. And as such, it's become one of the world's most popular programming languages. And so the Python community, the NHS Python community or PyCom, is an open community of practice that champions the use of the NHS of, of Python as a programming language and open code in the NHS and healthcare sector. And when we founded the Python community, we had a couple aims in mind. Um, the first of which is obviously promoting Python in healthcare by celebrating a lot of the success and recognizing contributions across the NHS and the wonderful um, library of code we have already addressing a lot of these programming issues. Um, another thing is licensing and licensing and openly publishing code on public GitHub repositories so other people can access and understand the code that we're writing. Another is reducing barriers of entry by working with, with people in policy to highlight best practice 
in the NHS for installing Python, for using Python and coding in the open. Another one is breaking down silos of expertise and collaborating with communities like NHSR um, to, to improve the access to open code and open source in health. And, and fifthly, it's um, championing championing diversity, inclusion and representation tech. Uh, our understanding is as long as you have an appetite and enthusiasm to learn Python, you should be given the resources to do so. Um, but the main and the most probably fundamental thing we're trying to do, and this goes beyond tools, this goes beyond Python, is we want to see a fundamental culture shift, a mindset shift in the NHS towards collaboration towards openness and towards the ability to make mistakes and working iteratively that we feel like Python and R does um, champion. Beautifully said, yes, exactly. And of course, that's precisely why you're here because fundamentally our, our aims are absolutely the same. So if you go on the internet, you see a lot of people shouting at each other uh, about Python and R. That seems to be quite a popular thing to do. Mm. Um, and I've always argued that the, the, the distinction is sort of uh, rather uh, irrelevant really, particularly in the case of those two languages, because for example, we've deployed stuff with both languages in it. That's quite a common thing to do. Um, but at a deeper level, as you're saying, like the, what we're talking about, the spirit of openness and collaboration stuff uh, is applicable, you know, that transcends languages. Well, it transcends programming really. It, it, it's it's actually just a culture shift in general. Just I've just looked up actually funnily enough, uh, you mentioned about Python being a popular programming language. So I thought, I wonder how Python's doing in the index. And it's actually number one. Yes. <laughs> it's just in. So January, last year, January 2021, it was number three. And now it's number one. So I'll Yay. pop that link in the show notes. So that's very exciting, isn't it? I didn't know that. I've just learned that on the podcast. So well done, Python. <laughs> well done, Python. Yes. It's a sort of Swiss army knife, really. R is sort of, I feel, does, you know, one or two things well. Python sort of does everything, doesn't it? So uh, mm. anyway, um, Right. Yes. So, so just talking a bit more about the kind of um, about the the early days of, of of NHS PyCom. So, how did it come into being? Where did the idea come from, and how did it get put into practice? Absolutely. I mean, Chris, you just talked about it being a Swiss Army knife, and that's one of the reasons why it's so popular in the world. But it's also quite popular in the NHS. And the main need for PyCom, the NHS Python community, came during COVID-19, when there were a lot of staff in the NHS who wanted to do very rapid, quite innovative analysis in Python during the pandemic, but could not find specialist Python support for their particular healthcare-related issue. There's a community support for R, but not for Python. And so myself, um, Alex Chung, Craig Shenton, and Aruba Zuber, my colleagues, we thought, I, I, I think, you know, we should do something about this. And we came together and, yeah, we started thinking of ideas about how we can create an actual Python community. And we worked with Analyst X to um, launch it in, in April 2020. And ever since then, we've, um, we have a board of, of 10 people um, from different parts of the NHS, trusts, a variety of professions, trust and national level. We have an executive team of web developers, um, events managers, com community managers, trying to champion this and make sure things are going ahead. So that, that's where we are now. And we have um, over 400 members in Slack uh, over just a couple of months. So things are going very well, but the fundamental need came from COVID-19. And ever since then, it's just rapidly evolved. 
Yeah, COVID-19, uh, as yeah, it changed things a lot, didn't it? I think it did. It did highlight in particular, I think, for me, the need for us all to work together. Suddenly people, mm. you know, we've been arguing this. Many of us have been arguing this for, for 10 years or more, that the NHS needs to learn to cooperate across organisational boundaries and got nowhere. And then suddenly the NHS all faced this, this you know, common problem, this, this common foe. And things that had been impossible. I mean, I've heard this story so many times. Things that had been argued about for years were done almost overnight. And uh, yeah, so I think, you know, the use of Python and, and that kind of uh, collaborative type approach is probably a good example of that. Um, so what can Python do for the NHS, in your opinion? What unique features does it have that we can that can improve the way that we work? So um, for me, as a, as a pharmacist, with two years ago, zero experience programming, Python was a quick and easy language to learn. I mean, the syntax was so simple, you know, A equals three, you know, let's go import NumPy. So that was the first advantage for me uh, for, for our Python, being able to dig into it and after a few months, being able to use it competently, you know, using a Udemy course, for example, and learn how to use libraries to, to visualize my data and things like that. But um, from an EPR perspective within trusts, I'm sure you, you probably agree on this. We don't use data of the NHS to its full potential. We implement these systems, we prescribe on them, we record patients' bloods, measurements, all their notes, and then the data just sits there. Um, Chris, I, I think you said you're a data scientist in the trust, so you probably have a different experience to mine. But um, where I was, we simply extracted reports for users to look at for their audits, and that was the most we did with it. And I started thinking, okay, so we're, we're, we're making these changes within the system to influence users, but we're not actually measuring whether or not these changes are being, are actually having an effect. So this is why I thought about A-B testing, for example, can we actually start doing things like that? Can we actually start a design experiment to see if our changes within the system are actually influencing prescribers, for example, are people still prescribing non-formulary drugs or are we actually having an impact on patients' outcomes, for example? And um, a good example was, um, when we had a request from one of our consultants around the use of opioids in patients. So we have opioids that are 12 hourly um, dosing regimes. You don't want to overdose a patient on those, especially the elderly, because they'll feel the effects more keenly. And she found that the, the, on some wards, we had patients being given drugs two hours early and two hours late. So you've gone down from 12 hours intervals to eight hours and she had no way of showing this. She didn't have the data to prove it. Um, got the data using both SQL and then some analysis in Python. I had to explain the data to her. And then we set about trying to improve the situation because we can now see using the data we had on these patients that yes, this was happening. And she wasn't imagining these patients being um, overdosed, having these um, severe side effects. So at this point, I was still an amateur, but I could see that with Python, I could do some A-B testing. And it was my first laugh about this time, because as you said, it's very difficult to get approval for these sorts of things to be um, installed. So this was on my laptop, I was running through uh, this code and I have to get some approval to make sure that I could actually have some of this data on my laptop as well and anonymize it. So it was about actually using the data and Python to actually show that our changes are having some kind of effect or not and the best way forward for these patients. So in the NHS, uh, in summary, I think we have the data because we have these electronic systems recording um, observations, prescriptions, notes, measurements. We just need to utilize it and even on a day-to-day -day basis show 
the result. Yeah, that's really interesting. I must say, actually, as a as a fairly frequent user of healthcare services myself, the timing of medication, I think, I mean, as you say, it's a, it's a clinical issue, but it's also a, it's a, a patient experience issue as well, especially with pain medication. Uh, and the idea that we're not doing anything, you know, because as you as you say, like it, it, we can measure it quite quite accurately, can't we? But often that that data is just sitting around doing nothing. I mean, I wouldn't pick on my trust in particular. Um, all the trust that I'm aware of, basically, all the data just gets thrown in a skip. Pretty much, it's hard to even get it out sometimes because it's such a mess. The worst story I've ever heard, and I won't name any names because I'll get in trouble. There was a we had a a, a data table. Um, and it had HTML markup in it, in some of the values. So we went to the vendor and we're like, this has got all this like HTML gubbins in it. And they just said, oh, well, no one else has complained. And that was it. And that HTML markup remains there to this day. So if you're listening to that database vendor, you know who you are. Just sort your life out. Anyone else, please? Python in the NHS. Yeah, could I uh, jump in there and give a slightly different um, story? So, uh, we've just heard about the data and as a clinician, that's really important stuff to have, definitely to show that what any changes that we do actually aren't making improvements and so on. But as a clinician on the front line, um, uh, treating people on the wards, um, also functionality, I think is really important. Not just getting data, but actually the way you do workflows and, and, and how we can automate it, I think it's really important. And it's, I love this Swiss army knife idea about Python. So I, I'm a clinician, I'm a doctor, um, and I've never been trained in computer sciences at all. I had, I did a few modules in a previous career uh, at uni, but um, never really been trained in it, but really love digital. And I've used Python for lots of stuff at home um, for many years. Uh, my dad gave me an Arduino Uno in 2013 and I just spring, springboard the whole thing that I've started learning all the different languages so Arduino which is C++ kind of thing and then gone on to Python and so on I haven't played much of R but I think when I get into the data I'm going to have to and I'm quite excited about that actually um, but how have I done home automation backup software and so on in Python and then that sort of spun up uh, filtered into work and then I started building databases um, at work Microsoft Access 2010 very old stuff um, but then did some robotic process automation on that and work and speeded up workflows and stuff like that um, and then actually being able to send text messages from those sort of things using Python connecting to the uh, gov.uk notify website and so on was very exciting stuff and my my colleagues and i've just kind of done a lot of this in my spare time actually all in my spare time um my colleagues um at work said oh this is really good stuff can you do more of this so they they said could you actually take our lung cancer pathway which is optimized as much as possible organizationally wise streamlining everything and just digitize it but you know, in a good way, not just turn paper into something electronic, but also automate it. And there's lots of processes within that that are um, repetitive for humans. So for example, looking up test results, we can just automate that because they're spending eight to 12 hours a week looking up test results, our lung cancer coordinators. So I managed to find some funding uh, from the local lung cancer group um, and also the local CCG. And we've got two computer scientists at the moment building a new digitized and automated lung cancer pathway prototype, I should add. Um, and we want to showcase that in the next few weeks. Um, it's TypeScript um, front end, but Python all the way down to the sort of integration of the trust um, uh, back end. 
Um, and so, I, and, we do, so it's, and we're going to collect data. We want to show that this use of this um, new app, um, uh, Lung Cancer Digital Pathway app, um, um, does have benefit, but also there's the functionality I think is really important as well with Python. It just actually can take things like ordering a chest x-ray, make it simpler, less clicks, faster, um, faster stuff, looking at results, getting faster results and stuff like that. And I think it's really important from a workflow at the front end side as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, on the previous podcast, which has not gone out at the time that I'm saying, but, but I spoke to Marcus Spohr recently, and we had a similar conversation about basically letting computers do the repetitive boring stuff and freeing up. And that's been a big part of my work in patient experience. There's a lot of patient experience data and we can, you know, computers can help us to kind of sort it and filter it and aggregate it and all that kind of thing. I'd like to talk about my experience as well. So I'm in a trust, uh, Bart's Health, where we have lots of data, some of the experience to add a, but my experience is that I was using Python before I joined the NHS. So I've come from a world where I just use Python all the time to entering the NHS where my expectation is, obviously all the analysis will be done by Python. And luckily, um, so when I joined, there were six scientists similar to me joining to work on these research projects. So the trust knew that we would be wanting coding languages. So we're open to those discussions and managed to get kind of our access, which has enabled other people within the trust to also have conversations to get Python on their machines. But it's still kind of a experience where you have to get the kind of trusted relationships with the IT groups before you can get the Python on your machines. Um, but in my experience, um, one of the real, real benefits of using Python is that we can kind of find things that have been developed in academia or by tech companies outside of the NHS, find that open code, try it out in our data, validate it, um, and see if the models can be useful to our population. So in COVID, there were models coming out to predict which patients would have the worst outcome. Um, we wanted to be sure that would be the same that that would work in the same way on our population. So it was kind of safe to try out in our population, but as well as kind of finding the code that they've used to build their models, um, it's really good to have Python. So you can kind of link to the data in the trust, do the pipelining, have it in a reproducible way so someone else can pick it up and try it themselves. Um, and there's also kind of APIs and tools like that, which once you could start opening the doors of Python, you can see all the different other functionality and potential uses for it. Um, whether it's kind of doing some a few lines of analysis or getting into more statistical modeling or trying out machine learning tools. Um, yeah, there's lots of different kind of routes that we're able to take now that we're kind of getting up to scratch with Python. Uh, and uh, something else that we've been doing is running uh, small projects, so like four-week projects for medical students, so that they can come up with a research hypothesis. Um, we, we can say, well, we have the data available in the trust to look into this hypothesis. Um, I'm going to help you learn code, learn to code in Python, so that we can kind of see whether the, that hypothesis is true or false. And it's a really nice thing to go from. Most of these, uh, most of these students have never heard of Python before. And then getting up to scratch with pandas and kind of manipulating a data table and then running some statistical tests is kind of really nice to see. 
just for listeners who don't have a data background, it's worth saying uh, this sort of relates to a, a wider movement that I would say is called reproducible science. And what that's all about is the old school way of doing things in science would be to say, oh, we did this and, you know, kind of verbally describe the tests and the data operations and all that kind of stuff, because it was all being done with kind of point and click type interfaces and all that kind of thing. Whereas reproducible science is very much more about expressing what was done scientifically and analytically through code, which reduces, completely reduces any ambiguity. So one of the really nice things, for example, about the COVID models that you were just talking about is that you be able to run them. There's no, you know, they are expressed very precisely in code. So you can just take them straight off the shelf, put your data in, run them through, check the output of the model and then move on rather than sitting. Because I go to presentations all the time. It drives me. I mean, I just I hate it so much. It's, I have to say very often kind of private consultants and all this kind of thing. They have all these PowerPoints about, oh, we did this and we did that and we did the other. But uh, there's no way you can recreate it. There's absolutely no, it's impossible because it's expressed in such vague language that uh, it's either difficult or impossible to, to do what they did. And I, I don't think that, you know, I think that's frankly, in many cases, intentional. Um, so this is very much the opposite. It's very much about saying this is precisely what we did and you can you can take it straight off the shelf and run it through yourself. Yeah, as soon as you have kind of access to the data you want to run it on, then there's the code. And then, yeah, you can work out how you want to tweak it. It's, yeah, really good reproducible science. Yeah, so that's a really nice set of examples of, of stories about Python, actually. I think our listeners will be able to hear the, the wide variety of, you know, we're talking about like automation and we're talking about running like web interfaces and, and data science. And, you know, I think, yeah, Swiss Army Knife, I think, is, is quite a good analogy. Is that it's a very, uh, I mean, I, I have to say, I did look at, well, I do write a bit of Python. I'm not, I, I can write a bit of Python. I'm not very good. Um, I've looked at Django in the past as well. I, um, that's a, a framework for making kind of web database type applications. I didn't do it in the end because I just thought, you know what, I'm going to get a professional to do this for a change. Um, but it was the kind of thing that I think you could do uh, with a, a little bit of a little bit of nafs. Um And it does make the previous version I had was written in PHP and it was horribly difficult and complicated and buggy and awful. Um, the less said about that, the better, really. One, one more application. This is something we've noticed from NHSX and working at a national level is that it relates to Python being very flexible and extensible. And you can use Python and data engineering to glue many different processes and systems together. So for example, we might have data from lots of different organizations, different source formats, different systems, SharePoint, APIs, websites, databases. What you can use Python for is you can link all of these different sources from all of these different sub-organizations together and it can help you standardize these data sources into a single format after which you can do those statistical processes. So for the NHS, you have a lot of different formats, very um, unique ways that different organizations conduct their data analysis, but you can bring it all into one single source through Python. So that's a growing um, application of Python that I've noticed in our data engineering team. Yes, indeed. And I must say, Python's a lot faster than R as well. So with with applications like that, that's really important because you, you're talking about gigs of data sometimes, aren't you? So that's that's a really nice uh, thing for Python as well. Right, we've touched on this slightly already, but let's just talk about it in more detail. So I I mean, I, what do I know? I just sit in a trust all day. But I, I gather from, I hear rumours that Python is even harder to get improved and installed uh, in the NHS. That, I mean, R is not simple to get in, approved and installed. Uh, and I hear rumors that Python is even harder to get approved and installed uh, when you work in the NHS. Um, so 
what what can you tell us about that how are things going in terms of getting mainstream acceptance of the program and what do we need to see in the future to get to get it more widely used so i think there's probably two versions of the story there's probably going to be the front-end clinician and there's going to be the the data scientists in the trust that have different stories to this but i'll give my clinical side it's really hard to get python in my trust and we've had quite a few discussions on our pythoncon board about how difficult it is to get python installed um, at different trusts and what can we do to um actually try and get past this and you know we're trying to work with um people higher up uh, and senior management to actually you know work past this problem because python is that swiss army knife that can help you in so many ways of course it can be dangerous in the wrong hands and install the wrong libraries and run some you know dangerous code off the internet so maybe it's you should be at least at a certain level competency to be allowed to use it but um, yeah, in my trust, it's really hard to, uh, you can't install it in my trust from a clinical side. Maybe the guys in digital have a different story in my trust, and I don't know what it's like. Um, maybe um, Sophie and, and other people have different stories. I mean, from a, you know, a, a national level, I'm speaking from NHSX. When I joined NHSX, the culture in the analytics unit was already open. So we had open source as almost the status quo so i was very easily able to get a mac by which i could have admin rights to download python to download r to download everything i needed for my job but as i've been you know working in the python community seeing uh, the reality that this is a very privileged position and this is not the reality for most people and the problem is a fundamental, like we said in the beginning, it's about culture and mindset and really accepting in the outside world, this is industry standard tool that you should be able to access Python. This is so important. And we have to ask ourselves, well, why is, why is there so much resistance in the NHS? And from you know, R and Python communities, these are communities that have combined like thousands of people together. There is an appetite, there is a real need and a real wanting for these tools to be openly available. And I think there needs to be understanding from senior management in particular to enable um, these analysts and, and clinicians to be able to install this technology to do their job more effectively. I'll start from a different angle. I didn't actually even have a work laptop when I um, started learning Python. So I'd be asking to you know, install it on a hot desk which wouldn't have worked for the IT department. So I'll be honest, I didn't try hard enough, but I think part of the problem is that people don't, one doesn't even know what Python is. And when you try to explain, it's hard to convey the benefits of, of being able to use it in a work setting. And this is coming from someone who worked in a, a little section of the IT department where we worked on the EPR system. So I think people need to understand the benefits of Python. I think from my perspective for data analysis and data science, before we even talk about trying to um, change the culture around um, installing Python, if I, if I can call it a culture, and, and the views around it, because um, trust will want to go to him's level seven after they implement their prescribing system. But people don't think about that when they go live. They just want the bare bones and, and the clinical benefits. They don't think about how do we use this data beyond audits and national reports for VTE and things like that. So I think when we, when we show people the benefits of using Python beyond data, beyond data analysis as well and data science, then we'll get the buy-in. Indeed, it'll it'll get better, won't it? It's it's got better with R over the years, and I think with with the NHS PyCom existing now and there being uh, voices, it's just such a mixed bag. I think, isn't it? That's that's part of the problem. Some some organisations are a lot better than others. 
So another big thing, I mean, we talked about this a little bit at the, at the top, is a big thing that NHSR community likes to promote is, you know, open source code, open source projects. So I'm just wondering if there's a particular open projects that you'd like to highlight, either from your own NHS PyCom GitHub, which does look like it's got a decent amount of stuff on it already, or just from anywhere else, just in the Python community in general. I mean, one, one of the main things that we try to do at PyCom is to enable other people to do to, to start where we've started, but to continue where we've started. So uh, my colleague of mine, Craig Shenton, has made a number of open templates and streamlit templates, which is um, a package you can use to develop web apps. And those templates can be used by anyone. You can download it now to start building your open projects from those foundations. We also have a number of coding tutorials set up by a colleague, Mattia, that helps people learn the fundamentals of Python. So those are the main sorts of open um, repositories available at the moment. So I wouldn't say they're ones to highlight, but last year during my break uh, in uni, I took on some projects of my own. So um, Mary just mentioned Streamlit. I used Flask to create a web app and I've shared that with the community. And I also got some data from the Met office and I tried to use data from the NHS BSA because they've got an API you can use to just get all their data on prescribing. So I plan to use data from Met Office and data on um, antihistamines to see if I can predict anything at this point. But it's more of just me playing around, and um, it's I, I always share those kinds of things in the um, in, with the community and, and get the feedback, which is always helpful on how to you know make it more efficient or cleaner and actually get things working. So that's always shared. I've shared the um, the actual website I built with the Flask with Flask as well. So that's always available for everyone to look at and grab my code. Cool. So we'll put all this in the show notes, of course. Anyone else on Open Projects? So I have two GitHub uh, repo well, accounts that you can look at. There's my own, which is Cotswolds Maker. Um, and I have the um, RPA stuff I've done for our departments using a totally different programming language called AutoHotKey. Um, it's a scripting language for robotic process automation in this program called QuickSpiritum. You can have a look at that if you like. Controls nine clinical systems now, trust, but if you've got the same clinical systems, you can use it to automate them to get results quicker and also do referrals quicker. Um, and then we've got uh, the lung cancer work uh, I have to keep on using the word uh, proof of concept because the trust haven't really accepted what I'm doing in open source yet. It's called uh, Spiritum Duo. Now, Spiritum is Latin for brief, and considering we're a respiratory department, we thought it was a good word to use. And Duo, because it's the second database I built. The first one, as I said earlier, was in Microsoft Access 2010, but this new one's now in TypeScript and uh, Python as the program languages using all those libraries like React, Apollo, and uh, you know, GraphQL interface and so on, and Starlet uh, backend. It's quite interesting stuff. Um, but you can go on there to look at the work that my two students are doing most of the work at the moment. I'm doing the politics, they're doing the coding, I'm very jealous, um, are doing on Spiritum Duo um, repo. And there's also spiritumduo.com website you can have a look at if you like. There's a bit of data about what we're doing on there. We can do some blogs and uh, some bios and stuff like that on there as well. So please have a look. Cool. Thanks. Anything else? I just, I'm not going to talk about what I've done. Um, so there's a lot of um, open code lists, which are really good for doing kind of science work around clinical data. So um, I think NHS Digital have a SNOMED terminology server, and you can access that via the API, which can be done in Python. 
um, and that can be used to produce code lists, which are really often shared. I have some on my GitHub page for how I've kind of defined the cohort of diabetes patients and things like that. Um, and that's kind of a, a really good move, not directly just for Python, but um, having kind of, yeah, the, the scripts to access these APIs is quite useful as examples. Cool. Thanks. Well, I'll gather all this, all the stuff they've mentioned. I'll gather it together in the show notes so you can uh, go and have a look for yourselves. Right. So we've got the, we've got come to the final optional question at the end now, which is just what else would you think we should cover on the podcast? So what subjects, people or projects do you think our listeners would benefit from hearing about? Open Safely. Have you heard of them? I have heard of Open Safely. I, ha I have to say I lost an analyst to Open Safely. <laughs> uh, he was a very talented, brilliant individual and he went there. So I've got a very slight bit of bitterness about that project. But yes, it sounds amazing. I'm trying to get either him or some of his colleagues to come on. There's also the NHS AI lab as well, who have a load of case studies um, in PyCom from Amadeus Stevenson. But they're, they'd be very worth talking to, especially the Gantworks team. I've, yes, I've got him booked in, actually. I'm glad you're saying all this stuff because it's making me feel like I'm prepared because uh, <laughs> he, he, I was he, I think he was booked on. Yeah, I think we've moved it, but he, he Amadeus is, is book, booked in, actually. You did have the question of uh, where would you where do you think you'll take our community next? I don't know if Mary, you had any thoughts on that. We're going to discuss we're going to actually we're going to discuss it tomorrow. We're going to have a where do we want to take things next tomorrow meeting. So I don't know okay. if Mary, you've got anything you want to throw in there. Yeah, I had. Um, I mean, Chris, do you want to ask the question and then? <laughs> yes, I do. This is falling. I'm telling you how to do your job. <laughs> you know, Tom can't even fix this in the edit because it, it's too chaotic, isn't it? But uh, that's fine. Yes, no, I did. I sent them the questions earlier and I, he, uh, Mark's quite right. I did actually miss one of the questions. I had. It's quite a good question as well. So I'm glad that he mentioned it. Right. So, yes, what's next for NHS PyCon? Where would you like to take the community ultimately? Wow, it's such a big question. And, you know, as Mark said, we're going to have a board meeting tomorrow to discuss exactly this. But I think there are a couple of things that we have in mind that are very important. One of which is around funding, you know, funding the great work that goes on in the NHS and actually funding specific work that people can take on. We are a community that has zero pounds in funding. Everything that we've done is simply through volunteering and through a lot of people taking good time out of their day to help this community out. And that might not be sustainable in the long term because of our ambitions, because we need to support open code and make sure that it's valued. So funding is a massive part. The second part is, is kind of related to the packages conversation, which is we want to make a library of different packages, Python, NHS specific Python packages and pieces of code. It was almost like a library that people can just dip into and find to solve their specific problem. And that will come over time collecting different sort of um, ideas for tackling different problems. Um, and, and the third one is, you know, influencing policy and making sure that people who are in trusts in individual organizations are able to contact anyone in the NHS Python community and get their issues resolved with regards to um, helping them install Python or finding other means to do the analysis that they, that they need to do. So it's very broad at the moment and we're trying to sort of um, make it more specific. But yeah, we have lots of ambitions which we need to finalise probably tomorrow. So I think you've covered the real big topics there. Um, I'm looking forward to what else will come up tomorrow. 
but I, I do think, you know, funding would be great. Um, I've done all this in my own time. I have no job um, uh, planning at all for any of the stuff I've done that's digital, computer-related stuff. Um, that's a separate topic. But funding for the stuff that people do in the NHS as a whole with coding, R, Python, whatever, would be great, especially for the community, would be great. Um, I think having show, more show-and-tell, uh, you know, community events, uh, but that's something we're planning to do anyway. Um, and also just pushing this agenda of, look, let's open in, let's code in the open, let's share code, let's have, you know, these programming languages available to people that know how to use them. You know, there must, I think there must be a minimum uh, competency. Um, you wouldn't give a, a scalpel to uh, someone to do surgery unless they're trained to do surgery. So why not have the same for the digital aspect of the digital speciality in, in a trust? Um, but those are my extra thoughts. But I'm, I'm actually very much looking forward to our meeting tomorrow, and hopefully we can spread out the news from that to the wider community as well. Yeah, I'd just like to add that um, I think we've been spending a bit of time kind of building the community uh, and kind of getting out there that there is this NHS PyCon. And just now we kind of have a bit of a kind of momentum going. It's, it'd be great to build on that. And just people who are using Python in CCGs, in trusts, where they don't, kind of know many other people around them who are using it they can kind of come to the NHS PyCon find people ask the questions get ideas that they can bring to kind of where they're based and say this is these are the great things that are going on this is why you want to let me spend some of my time learning Python kind of trying out these things kind of here's where we are now here's where we could take it if we kind of invest in these kind of people I think yeah having this community together is the best way to be able to kind of put that pitch forwards. Mind if I ask a question? Go for it. Okay, thanks. Um, for Mary, Mark, and Sophie, um, do you guys work with the Faculty of Clinical Informatics by any chance? Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm a member, but yeah, go ahead. Because I'm using my EPMA slash EPR head again. Most trust, I say most trust. The two biggest competitors. Uh, for contracts in the UK for EPR are EPIC and CERNA. So we have staff in these two in these trusts in those two systems who are either doing analysis quietly or not at all. And I've always thought we should have some standard, um, let's say, competencies or training or even just, uh, how do I put it? Not even scripts, but notebooks people can work off and use to standardize analysis and, and, and standardize their results and applications of those results. I don't know if that's something you guys are looking at at all. I, I think that's a really interesting question. Sorry, Chris, we're sort of asking questions here. <laughs> no, it's all good. I'm sure people want to hear this. It's an interesting question. Okay. No, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a member of the FCI. I have been for over a year now, very junior in that respect, even though I've been doing digital stuff uh, outside and inside the NHS for a little while. And um, I'm also on, as I said, one of the board members for the Early Careers Group, also on the professionalism um, subcommittee. And we are working on helping people get accreditation clinical informatics. So you're signed off to be competent in doing things like data analysis to understand the technology and so on. I'm also helping the Gloucester University build an MSc in health tech to teach clinicians, doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals, and also the, the, the tech guys to work together, communicate together, um, 
and that hopefully will be starting in September. But I, I think we do need to think about how do we have competencies? And there are the core um, competencies for the FCI that they wrote a couple of years ago. They want to use that to help with accreditation. I myself want to be a clinical informatic consultant doctor one day. And so I'm helping build that uh, training course as such. And I'll be a guinea pig for that, more than happy to do that. Um, but yeah, in answer to your question, I, I do think there should be standards, there should be protocols, should be SOPs, and it's all kind of the part of the things that we're looking at within the FCI. Um, and if you want to join the FCI, anyone can join um, and, you know, uh, get involved with these subcommittees and give your opinions and so on. And we need more people actually on these committees because there's quite a lot of doctors, we've got a few nurses and uh midwives one or two pharmacists but the more people we can get even just um digital expert patients as i've, as I've coined the term before it'd be great to have on these panels because then we can get everyone's input on these things because it is for the patient at the end of the day that we're doing these things um anyway that's my two penneth so these are all things that i hear this is what's so interesting i think about this and this is why this podcast went ahead really this is all stuff that we talk about in my world all the time so competencies so basically the, the same idea that people can can just rock up and be a healthcare analyst without any you know and obviously if they're making the wrong decisions and doing things wrongly which i have to say i've seen some absolutely appalling uh, evidence of some terrible analytics in my time in the nhs then there's really no way of you know detecting that or doing anything about it or or anything like that so um, i think these are these are all sort of common issues uh, and on the funding thing, I must say, I totally agree. The NHS, I think, spends such a lot of money on such a lot of nothing sometimes. And yet NHSR and NHS PICOM are, I mean, I have to say that I wouldn't say that our budget is zero, but it's its almost indistinguishable from zero. It, it's, its you know, it, it's its its pretty small compared to some of the, compared to some of the other big projects that are going on in the NHS. Um, and I think fundamentally funding people to collaborate and help each other and learn is just more efficient than just paying people to do something and then just dump it and drive off and go to the next customer. That's just that's just a fundamental truth about the way these things work. Chris, I did want to ask you a question, which is how do you feel that the NHSR community and the NHS Python community could work better together, considering our goals are very similar? That's a great question. You put me on the spot there slightly. Well, we're having a show and tell, aren't we? I was going to mention that actually at the end. So uh, I've sort of inveigled my way. I sort of hang around on NHS PyCom trying to sort of stick my nose in. Um, so we're going to do, because uh, I really just want to, you know, personally, I suppose I don't really, organisationally, I don't really know the answer to your question, I don't think, um, because I can see why the two organisations exist separately, because they do have slightly different um focuses so i think that i think there's a validity about having them sort of separate but although i think that's true in terms of nhs pycom and nhsr what i do want to do is i want to absolutely completely break down the barriers that exist between the people within those communities because all the stuff that we've talked about about sharing and about um you know open code and it, it's all the same it's indistinguishable and so that's always my message to people is that um, I mean, for example, and, and the other thing that I often think about is that we're trying to solve the same problem. So we, we're talking at the moment, for, just as this is just a random example, about um, travel time APIs. It's a big thing. Obviously, people often want, when they're planning clinics and all this kind of stuff, they want to work out how far long it takes on a bus to get from such and such a place to such and such a place, all this kind of thing. So we're all busily talking about that away about that in the R community, and that's quite proper. But obviously, that's not an R problem. That's a general problem for everybody, not just for R and Python. That's for everybody. 
So I really think we've got to try to bring the communities together as much as we can in order to try to to it's about I mean, it's about that co collaboration and sharing, isn't it? You know, we we can all whatever language you're doing, what whatever w w field you're working in, whatever it is, we face common problems and we need to identify them together and solve them together. Absolutely, I absolutely agree. And our show and tell is the first part of actually a formal collaboration, but deeper collaborations in futures is one of our great ambitions. Yeah, I have to say just I'm just going to get my soapbox out just for a moment. My my vision for Open Code really in the NHS is that I think the thing that I really love about about open source is it is sort of uh, what's the word? It's chaotic. There isn't any sort of planning really. There's no like committees or funding or people just do stuff. And the analogy I give is you is people are building bridge across. They need to go go across a river. Some some people start building a bridge across the river and they're happily building a bridge because they need to get across the river. But then some other people turn up. And they want to go across the, and instead of, they don't start building the bridge 50 yards going, well, we're going to build our bridge and we're going to build it out of this type of wood. They all just work together. And that's what I want to see in the NHS is I want to see people not, um, not waiting for permission and not waiting for people to say, oh yes, that's a good idea and managers and funding and all that kind of stuff, but just to identify common problems and we just all just pull up and we just dig in and we just solve them and they're done. And then we go on to the next thing. Yeah, no, another analogy for that is like Wikipedia. Everyone comes along and throws their thoughts on the, the, the topic and it just gets better and better. And that's kind of what we want. You're describing with code. We'll, we'll build some code and then we'll build on top of that and get better and better code, hopefully safer and safer code. Yeah, it's just very, it's always very noticeable to me that the, the, the really the truly best things in the world were never decided by a manager or never approved by a committee. It was just some just random idea that somebody had. So one of our packages that's very popular that we built in the NHSR community is the Plot the Dots. We had a podcast about that previously. If people want to go and listen to that. And yeah, there was no approval process or funding or there was no nothing. It was just somebody wanted to do it and they started doing it. And then some other people started doing it as well. And then pretty soon lots of people were doing it and then it was done. And now it's amazing. And if we could harness that, that's what I want to harness. I don't, I don't know how you do that because I'm not clever enough. Um, but yes, that if we can do that, then I think we can, uh, we can, we can go a long way with not very much money, basically. Talking, going back to the money um, topic that we we're discussing before, it is about the uh, propriety versus the open source solution, and it's a, it's a topic that I debate heavily at my trust at the moment. They want to do everything for the, this new digital lung cancer pathway in our EPR, um, Sunrise from all scripts. If it can do everything you want, well, I'll be happy to see that, but we haven't had those discussions in full yet. But that, that limit, if we build this, then that limits who can use the, all the hours, man hours we put in um, and this is paid for students, um, their man hours put into this and no one else can use it unless they've got the same EPR. If we can do it in open source, which the Cancer Alliance swag want to do because they cover seven trusts around the area, other people could use um, the uh, open source solution around the Southwest or further afield, whoever wants to use it can use it. I mean, it's one idea I have is uh, code once share many instead of code in different software solution proprietary systems. It's really expensive to brother trustees because to pay for that uh, if, if it's a sold package proprietary closed source thing, 
were open source. It's like, well, one person or a few people write this, they send it off, other people can use it. And then someone else comes, actually, you can make this embedded by doing that. And they just do it. They don't have to pay anyone to do it if they got the knowledge. Indeed. And I have to say the EPR vendors are not playing fair as far as open APIs and open code go. But that, and I may come back to that in a subsequent podcast. <laughs> anyway, right, we've all had a rant now. So I think we all feel a lot better about the world. Well, I hope we do. I certainly do. Right, so we'll leave it there, I think. So that was very enjoyable. So thank you very much. We should definitely, let's do this again. I think that I said that briefly earlier, didn't I? Let's, let's have a, let's have a, a state of the play. I think we'll, we'll, we'll see how quickly you go. But I think once you, once you've solved some of these problems, let's, let's come back to it. Right. So I'll do my usual stuff at the end. So I would like to thank Tom Jemmett for his editing. If you would like to come on the podcast, if you can talk about any of the things that we've talked about, or if you know someone who would like to come on the podcast, uh, or if you have a question or a comment, then please send it to nhs, uh, nhs.rcommunity at nhs.net. That's a bit of a mouthful. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, I'd like to thank all my guests again for coming on and speaking very eloquently about some of the shared problems that we have between the two communities. And I will see you all next time. I believe the next time will indeed be Amadeus. Thanks very much.